0: Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Lindsay um, has been on a recipe-creating binge since... When did I first call you up and say, we need some, we need some cookbooks pronto and they need to be keto. And so we had the Keto Reset Diet, the Keto Reset Instant Pot Cookbook, the Keto Reset Cookbook, and now a fabulous creation that's just launched called Keto Passport.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like I basically spent summer of 2017 to fall of 2018 cooking, <laughs> just cooking nonstop cooking and then grocery shopping and then cooking and eating and grocery shopping and cooking and eating. <laughs> it was like, Oh, it was over a year.
0: You walk into whole foods. They're like, Oh, Lindsay's here.
1: Literally. There were a couple guys there and they always knew. Cause I was always buying like separate. I would always do two orders. Like one that was just my family groceries. And then cookbook development groceries. So I always have my order split into two on the belt. And so they just, the yeah, the whole foods totally knew me.
0: Oh my goodness. So I mean, how does that work? I, I'm curious where you come up with these zillions and trillions of original recipes, especially with Keto Passport. We have these categories of South Asia, Mediterranean, Africa, Eastern Europe. And I know uh, Layla has some uh, cultural traditions in her family where she can draw from these traditional dishes and then modifying them to be keto. And I know you have that rich Michigan yeah, history yeah. of culinary, oh. oh, excuse me, but how, where do you come up with this stuff?
1: I mean, so for just the keto recipes, um, you know, it's just a lot of how I just cook at So it's, you know, a lot of what I do at home is just putting meat and vegetables together. Obviously, you know, cruising Pinterest and other recipe sites is a great source of inspiration um, for like, what do people want? What are people eating in keto? And it's interesting, obviously writing keto recipes is much harder than even writing paleo recipes because you're working with a more restricted um, range of foods. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting job because you have to be more creative. And at the same time, you're trying to be original (laughs) with, uh, with a limited number of ingredients compared to someone who's writing primal or paleo recipes and especially writing compared to someone who's writing just, you know, any kind of traditional recipes. So yeah, it's, it's more just like about what do I like to eat and then writing it down. Um, for Keto Passport, though, so yeah, Keto Passport, like you mentioned, is an international cookbook. Um, and our goal here was really to inspire people who either come to keto and feel like they can't make the traditional foods that they grew up with, you know, of their heritage, or, you know, they travel a lot and want to recreate some of the recipes, but they are, you know, maybe feel a little bit stifled by keto or don't know how to make these traditional recipes work or people who have been keto and also love to cook and are sick of just doing like steaks and hamburgers and cabbage bowls and carnitas. And, you know, so people who want to express their creativity, but stay true to their keto, um, their keto macros. So, Good.
0: Right. You said uh, uh, right before we hit record, Al, the 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 idea of like a carnivore restriction would just drive you crazy because it's so limited, and even keto becomes really really difficult. And I think it there does. is a lot. You, maybe I want to ask you about the what's going on in the Facebook group. It seems like there is a little bit of uh, fatigue or fallout from having such a restricted diet. I mean, and so maybe yeah. this cookbook is answering to that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think people just feel. I mean, I think that, um, unfortunately, I think that keto is seen as a very restrictive way of eating. And it is insofar as there are entire categories of foods that you just probably do not eat at all. You know, pasta, bread, um, you know, tortillas, chips, snack foods, like all the stuff that you also wouldn't be eating if you were primal or paleo. And then also you have to really limit things like fruits and sweet potatoes, pumpkin, you um, you have to somewhat limit things like tomatoes, beets, squash. Um, Certainly you can incorporate those things into a keto diet, but you just have to be, you know, a little bit more attuned to portions. Um, I should side note, one of my pet peeves in the keto world is when people say foods are or are not keto. Um, Mm. Because really any, any food in a small enough quantity can be incorporated into a keto diet. So a lot of people get really upset about beets and carrots specifically. And I eat beets and carrots all the time and especially beets and consider myself fully keto um, and have for a long time. So, you know, it's just about how many carbs are you eating at a time? So, and about whether or not you care about being in deep, deep ketosis all the time. And so these are all value judgments, but anyway, I digress. So, but I think, you know, people, people see the list of, of can't eat foods or shouldn't eat foods or avoid foods or whatever, the red foods on the banting list. And they get really freaked out, especially I find that people who consider themselves foodies get really freaked out because, you know, so many traditional dishes that we make, you know, kind of as comfort food dishes are mostly off the table. Now, you know, any like lasagna, mac and cheese, anything that's battered and fried, you can do them, but you just have to be a lot more creative. And so I think that there's two things that people get like either bored or three things. They either get bored because they're not, they're not sure how to inject creativity into their keto cooking. They get overwhelmed by what they perceive as these as these hard and fast rules, or oh god, what was my third thing? Or they get stifled, just like they just get stifled by all the rules, and they just like lose motivation. Um, and so you know, the the goal behind Keto Passport was really to re inject some energy and some excitement in keto cooking. And actually, like so, you know, you mentioned my co author Layla. She her background is Korean and German, and she her mom grew up cooking Korean food for her. So she's very like her childhood food story is much more adventurous than mine. She grew up eating, you know, different animal fats and and fermented foods and oxtail and all sorts of stuff that I never even heard of until I was an adult. And then, um, we just went and we started investigating like different foods from different regions. And it was actually, it was an interesting journey because probably about half, half the recipes in the book are just more curated. So, we didn't really have to do that much to them to make them keto because they were already so meat and veggie centric that it was more just like, here's a recipe that you can eat if you're keto that you might not have even thought of, or, you know, here's one that you might not have ever heard of before. And then the other half are ones that we had to adapt in some way to make them more keto, obviously things involving noodles or rice, Um, were things that we had to adapt and then just some other ones that, you know, maybe like uh, ones we have some beet dishes in there. So we had to kind of like tweak them to make them a little bit less carby. But um, yeah, it was more just about like re-energizing people and keeping them interested in keto food and reminding them that keto food can look a lot of different ways.
0: Well, that's interesting when you were digressing about the carrots and the beets. And um, we were wondering about this you know, we we hear this 50 grams a day bantered about, I think the official primal blueprint position, we were just uh, revisiting this on email chains recently that the keto reset diet said 50 grams of gross carbohydrate intake per day, but you don't have to count avocados or leafy greens because they make such a minimal contribution to insulin stimulation, whatever. So pretty simple guideline to try and stay keto, but... Uh, within that, there's some weird nuances that I think people are interested in figuring out and understanding, such as if you took uh, a bite of carrot every hour for 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 your yeah. your waking hours, um, it's not going to disturb insulin measurable way, so therefore it's not going to really disturb any efforts you have to to make ketones in the liver if you're in a restrictive dietary pattern and you're exercising and depleting your glycogen. Uh, so I guess. Is there something to it where uh, a, a a big sitting, a big carbohydrate dosage at a single sitting, is going to knock you slap slap you right out of ketosis quickly? Whereby if you're, I don't, I mean we don't want to snack either because uh, Dr. Kate Shanahan says that'll mess you up good because every time you eat anything, an insulin response occurs, even if it's fat, even if it's protein. Uh, so, yeah, how do we reconcile all that and how important is this uh, this this 50-gram sledgehammer that we're always hearing about? That's a lot of questions.
1: Um, okay, so... That's how I roll.
0: <laughs> if you don't like it, write it down. And here goes Lindsay. This is how she rolls. Listen up, peeps. Yeah,
1: I mean, so let's just... I'm
0: going to go do some pull-ups while we answers. <laughs>
1: um, so the snacking, yes. I mean, in general, in the keto community and even the primal com- paleo community, we discourage snacking because, you know, it is this kind of constant insulin stimulation. And that's partially, you know, that's a lot of that has to do with kind of longevity goals where we do not want chronically stimulated insulin, but we'd want pulsatile insulin. So we would rather have our insulin coming in, in the kind of these like spikes, but then having all this time where we're having no measurable insulin stimulation from food. I mean, and then having another spike, right? So people get really afraid of spiking insulin, through meals, but that's actually what we want. We want pulsatile doses of insulin with periods in between where we're not stimulating insulin. Um, so yes, like snacking is generally not encouraged. However, I would say again, with everything there's nuance, right? So if you are a hard charging athlete, who's really having trouble getting enough calories, then you may need to eat in between meals. Um, and certainly you want to be eating, you know, three, maybe four meals a day. You know, if you're, if you're trying to get in 3,500 calories a day, because you are like training for an Ironman and that's what you need for health, then, you know, doing it in one or two meals a day is going to be next to impossible. Truly. Um, same thing if you are, if you know, if you're coming from a history of eating disorder, I don't necessarily think that putting rules on in terms of how many times a day you should be eating is is a healthy place for you right now. So, you know, if if you're coming from a place of eating disorder, my goal for you is to be, you know, to, to choose healthy foods that meet your goals, but otherwise let go of other types of restriction, um, like fasting, intermittent fasting um, and they,
0: let go of it. In don't worry words. about it. Just, just relax. Just, don't worry about your it. Food. But possibly go by your hunger signals and and escape all those eating disorders. Mm-hmm, right. So
1: that things like rules like intermittent fasting, no snacking, those are not important for you right now if you're working on overcoming a disordered eating pattern. Um, and likewise, I think if you are um, if you are dealing with thyroid or adrenal dysfunction, I don't think that layering on extra restriction. If it doesn't if it feels at all unnatural to you is um, important. So again, like it's about priorities. So for most of us going in, our number one priority is our health and also like insulin modulation. A lot of people obviously come to keto because they're working on um, you know, insulin resistance and and all the diseases and disorders that are associated with insulin resistance, um, you know, cognitive disorders, type 2 diabetes, um, autoimmune issues maybe, Um, so, you know, if those are your, if insulin is a big target for you, then yes, like you don't want to snack and you maybe want to be doing two meals a day or, you know, time restricted eating, um, maybe, or doing three meals a day in just maybe a slightly compressed window of eating like 12 to 14 hours or eight to 10, if you could manage that. Um, so that's, that's number one. That's kind of where I'm, that's where I'm at right now with, the with the snacking, intermittent fasting thing?
0: Uh, so the, the snacking is basically going to compromise your momentum toward uh, fat burning and, and making energy internally. Because it's basically shutting off, obviously, even if you eat a, eat a fat bomb that's 95% fat, you've just shut off internal fat burning. Is that kind of the argument? I mean, that's what Dr. Kate says for, for weight loss, is this this snacking idea is just going to um, be trouble. But if you want to talk further about that pulsatile insulin spike, because, yeah, we're, we're hearing about the spike of insulin that's so bad, and then you get tired afterward, but we also have to replenish cellular energy and... Yeah, you made that face. I know the listeners can't see it, but it was perfectly timed because Dr. Tommy Wood said the same thing, like, you know what, if you're healthy, you should be able to handle an ice cream binge or a, a big giant omelet and go up and carry on and go about your day. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting because you know, this, this blanket uh, warning against uh, whatever big carbohydrate meals, are we misunderstanding that a bit? <laughs> Tell us about I your mean, eyebrow raise.
1: A big dose of ice cream is different than a big... Omelette with like lots of steak and a, a carrot salad on the side. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, that's a different question to me. But yeah, I mean, theoretically, yes, if you're like supremely metabolically healthy, then a big bowl of ice cream once in a while should be fine. But just in terms of your everyday keto meals, um, you know, yes, like you're going, if you're eating meals, you are going to spike insulin. And people are so afraid of that. And that is not a problem. The insulin is there to deal with the food you ate. Like that's what its job is. The insulin is there for a healthy reason. If you weren't releasing insulin in response to your meals, that would be a much bigger problem. You would be have type one diabetes, and you would be, you know, supplementing with exogenous insulin. You'd be using insulin exogenously because you would die if you didn't have it. So you need the insulin there. So people are afraid of insulin spikes that come from whole real foods, and that's I just think that that idea needs to go away. Um, and also remember, if you're eating your carbs in the context of protein and fat. It a doesn't lead to the same insulin spike as it would if you were just eating a giant bowl of ice cream, but also you know you're stimulating glucagon and other hormones that all are working in concert to equal a healthy a healthy metabolic response to food. So you know we should not be afraid of our metabolism. We should be welcoming our metabolism um, and for it to be working properly. But yeah, I mean, if, so if you do have a specific weight loss goal, then you know snacking is is probably not your friends. Um you know it's probably better to try to get your meat, your food in your meals. And if you are, you know, there's I think possibly a longevity argument to be made right so that you're not constantly stimulating insulin. Um and also there's an argument to be made that just for um gut health that it's better to have, you know, periods of rest and periods of work and so um, you know, constantly kind of trickling in food, maybe, I mean, I don't know that there's good research to support that versus being very kind of theoretical at that point. But I certainly know that, you know, there are people who argue that having, um you know, as opposed to saying eating all your calories in an eight hour window, having a a big meal upon waking, and then, a you know, a big late afternoon evening meal, and then nothing in between to have these kind of like, rest and digest periods, you know, in the middle of the day, and then in the middle of the night, you know, and I honestly feel like I feel like this is a situation where find what works for you, right? Like, so I can't quant, like, I can't take four people and sit them down and maybe somebody could, but I personally can't, you know, take four people and sit them down and like with all their metabolic health markers and, um, you know, all their eating preferences and their circadian rhythm, you know, like do like run all their genes to see what kind of like their, their genes look like and maybe like try to tease out their natural circadian rhythm and blah, blah, blah. And then say, okay, you should be eating at 7 a.m., 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. and then you should be fasting but you you should do your first meal at 11 and then eat two small meals and then have your last meal at 7 p.m. like I mean I just can't do that right so I mean I think that while it's great to care about these things and to think about these things and to try out different things you know I again I think a lot of people spend a lot of mental energy trying to arrive at like what's the one right answer when really like all these things like as long as you're doing something like, as long as you're trying, you're probably doing something that falls under the category of good, whether or not it's great or optimal. Like, I think a lot of us should be happy to to arrive at a place that's really good and try that out and then see, well, would something else be better for me? But trying to like micromanage it every single day, like to me is like, it gives me anxiety watching how much some people try to micromanage things like intermittent fasting and meal timing and circadian rhythm. When the truth is we can't, we cannot measure these things on a minute by minute basis in our own body. So the best we can do is like try something for a month and see how we feel and then try something else for a month and see how we feel. Understanding that every every kind of input we give our body is interacting with all of the things that are happening inside our body, like our microbiome, like our hormones, like our metabolic status. And so nobody from the outside is going to be able to tell you what's best for you. So just understanding that you're never going to know for sure what the best is, just try to do things that seem healthy. And you're probably doing better than 90% of the population.
0: Right. I mean uh, this is Peter Attia was quoted in our in our new book Keto Longevity about the low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. And so he's if you haven't heard of him, uh, he's a leading longevity physician and prominent uh, voice in the ancestral health scene. He's got a great podcast called The Drive, and very, very deep into the science, very knowledgeable individual who, who is also a hands-on practitioner, and he does this uh, deep experimenting on his own with a week of keto, a week of fasting, and another week of keto, and testing his blood values, and he had he was one of the first guys to have the glucose meter surgically implanted in his abdomen, so he had... Real-time glucose readings on his smartphone for three years straight, and logged it all in a spreadsheet. And uh, one of his recent podcasts, he's like, "You know, we we got to acknowledge that we don't know what's best." We <laughs> totally. And if he's and saying that, oh my goodness, yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I was gonna say if Peter's saying that, and you know, Peter A is so smart, like a really good brain, <laughs> he can really process information, and as a doctor, can order all his own testing. Has a literal team of people whose job it is just to read science and assimilate it for him and tell him what's important. And still is still experimenting on himself to see what works. You know, so he still doesn't have an answer even for himself, right? And also, by the way, the experiment he's doing on himself is not something that I would ever personally want to do with his, like, he does what is like five days of fasting. He does like a week of strict keto and then like a five day fast and then something, something. And like that just level of regimentation just doesn't interest me personally. So even if Peter was to come back this and say, This is it. Do it, people. Here's what you do. Probably, no, thanks. I probably wouldn't yeah. do it because I don't want to. <laughs> maybe I would. I mean, maybe if I knew for sure it was the answer, then my motivation would be different. But for right now, what Peter does is not what Lindsay wants to do so it doesn't really yeah
0: that's an interesting quip i mean uh you know the surgeon general report came out in 1964 there were a lot of people smoking up to that point because uh they thought nothing of it and then they said oh smoking will kill you and give you lung cancer and that has to go on the billboard now Uh, i think we had a decline in smoking so until that person comes along and says you should fast every other week and not eat any food and just drink water i guess we got to suck it up at that point but, I like your style where you 're just looking for uh, and you know remember listeners lindsay 's a psychologist by training she 's in the health expertise field as sort of a a folly of her adult life. but I always like talking to you because we're we 're having to frame it back to you know the 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 psychological health of the individual making these decisions and uh, living in a manner that 's congruent with their stated goals and all those important things, and having the fun and variety and excitement. I guess that's a good uh, segue back into the book, but yeah. um, talk about kind of that uh that fatigue and that uh frustration a little more, and how we can kind of escape that with let's say uh investigating exciting new recipes
1: Well, yeah, I do think that what happens is when people go keto, they feel like they they feel like they don't they feel a lot of uncertainty, and so what they do is they like grasp onto things that seem like okay, like I know I can eat hamburgers and with lettuce wrap burgers and I know I can eat green salads and I know I can eat omelets. And then there's this level of uncertainty where it's like, but I don't know if I'm quote unquote allowed to eat this, right? Right. And so I spend a lot of time telling people like, yes, you're allowed to explore, you're allowed to try new things and see how your body responds. And so, you know, a lot of my motivation just in general, not just with the book, but with the book is giving people permission to kind of find their own personal version of keto that works for them. Whether that's being keto 100% of the time, or, you know, doing periods of ketosis and periods of, of primal paleo, whether it's, you know, incorporating some sort of refeed schedule based on your exercise, your carb-up schedule around your exercise or based on your menstrual cycle or kind of whatever it is for you. But I want people to feel a lot more freedom where they see keto as just like one of the many tools in their toolbox. So, you know, you mentioned low-hanging fruit and, you know, the low-hanging fruit, in my opinion, are things like sleep and sun exposure Um, and then just eating better quality foods, like without caring so much about macros, right? So just changing it up and and removing like the, the really poor quality food, inflammatory foods from your diet. Um, you know, drinking more water if you're not drinking water, like these are easy things to do. And I think that another, you know, another way of kind of thinking about low hanging fruit is that, you know, periodic carb restriction can, if done with the right mindset, be an example of low hanging fruit where it's like really easy to throw in periods where you're just not eating fruit and sweet potatoes. Like if, especially if you're already primal paleo and you're already not eating bread and pasta and um, rice and sugar and drinking juice and drinking soda, like if you're already existing in the primal paleo space, keto can actually be a low hanging fruit. If you're, if you, instead of wanting it to be a lifestyle, which is one option if you're just treating it like a tool that you apply sometimes, which is another option for keto. And I think that that messaging is not out there in the keto space. Like Keto tends to be very like all or nothing, like you're keto or you aren't, as opposed to treating keto not as an identity, but as a tool. And so like one of the goals with my cookbooks is that I want people to be able to drop in interesting low-carb meals and do periods where they don't feel like they're sacrificing, right? And they're not getting like okay, like I think keto would be good for me, but I don't want to give up food. You know, I don't want to eat. So it's like, you know, and I think that there's just not like what you see in the keto space, especially I think probably if you're new, it's like a lot of the same types of foods, a lot of the same colors. A lot of the, and yeah. And so you get like, you get this, it, get, it looks boring. <laughs> it looks not very interesting. And so I want to give people lots of options for, for using low carb in their life without having to like adjust everything else about their life, if that makes sense.
0: Well, boring is code word for unsustainable, right?
1: Well I don't know. I mean some people really like boring. I mean for some people, you know, you mentioned decision fatigue. And I do think that's a that's a big appeal for a lot of people with the carnivore diet that you also mentioned is like there is no decision to be made. I literally I fill my fridge with meats and the only decision I have to make is which of these meats am I going to eat today? And like, maybe if you're, depending on what version of carnivore you do, like, am I or am I not going to add some dried spices to this meat today? And some people just are like, no, like some people are strict red meat and salt. And then some people are like, you know, any animal, any animal flesh and, um, eggs and some people, and also like fresh herbs and spices for, um, flavoring. And some people are like, you know, any animal product and that includes dairy and eggs And also, but no, nothing that grows in the ground. So like no herbs or spices whatsoever. So whatever. But the point is like, you know, I think that is the, I think a lot of people do end up at carnivore from keto because the decision fatigue that they perceive in keto of like always caring so much about what you're making and counting things and looking at things at your plate and making these judgments about whether or not it is or isn't keto. Like is this food keto? Is this food not keto? Am I eating too many carbs? And they just say, forget it. (laughs) I'm going carnivore. And it's like a palate cleanser literally and figuratively because they don't have to think anymore. But also you can just decide to take a more relaxed approach to keto, which is that you choose foods that you know are going to more or less qualify. And as long as you're feeling good, don't worry about it.
0: So, Are there any no-nos that come up, such as uh, dipping in and out where you're having these high-carbohydrate days and then you're back into keto or a binge weekend where you allow yourself the beer and pizza and the potato chips and then you're back in keto? Or uh, where should we draw the line when you're offering us such flexibility or variation?
1: Um, well, there's a couple of lines, right? I mean, so some people find that if they really dip out of keto, then it takes them four or five days to get really back in. And so if you're doing, if you're doing binge weekends, that's not going to work for you. Um. I also just. Don't, I also. Hey,
0: basically, your binge weekend, and then four or five days, and you're not just joking. This is from Finney and Volex right. research that as someone who's p- poorly fat and keto adapted, like trying to get there and being a- allowed to have binge weekends, they maybe get into ketosis by, by like Friday. Night, have yeah. their binge weekend and it takes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of keto-aligned eating to to stimulate uh, the, the uh, make the keto numbers back on Friday and then back to the pizza. Yeah. So not gonna work, Lindsay. Not said. gonna work.
1: And also, I mean, like, let's just talk, I mean, be very clear that where I come from in the keto world is that, like, I assume if you're not doing keto, you're doing primal. And if you're not doing either, it's because, like, you're on vacation or whatever and you've decided to blow it out. But there are certainly people who are, like, I'm either keto or I'm back to like, you know, little Caesars. And that's not like, those are not, that's not our population that I work with, you know. So the people I work with are.
0: Sorry, you can't join. You actually have to be approved to join the Facebook group. So no little Caesars. And sorry, I, we can't, I we can't sponsor to, the show either. I will allow
1: you to join. But you know, what I'm saying is like most of the people that come into our group are people who came to us via the primal or paleo space. So leaving keto means going back to something that I would still consider. A very healthy way of eating, you know. So, like lots of people say, their car binge and their car binge is, you know, like an apple and half a watermelon, and they're like, "Ooh, I'm so bad," <laughs> you know. And it's like, uh, that's that's not what people mean when they're talking about. I left. I went. I ate half a p- cake, and then I had like a six pack of beer by myself, and then I got up the next day and I went to and got a stack of pancakes, like. So, you know, it's really hard to make these kind of blanket statements because people's carbs can look very, very different. So, I mean, I personally don't think it's a problem for most people, and I'll caveat this in a second, to move kind of fluidly once you've done the work to become keto adapted, to move fluidly between keto and primal paleo, you know, where food quality continues to be a priority and you're still not eating, you know, grains and sugar, um, you know, maybe like occasionally if it works for you, but like for the most part, those foods are still not staples of your diet. Um, that's one thing versus like going like all out back to like, just like weekends of just nothing but sad foods and not just sad foods, but like overeating and usually in combination with alcohol, like that's just a very different thing than like having a big bowl of fruit. Like they're not even the same. Um, but the caveat then is like, is why did you become keto in the first place right so if you're just keto because you think it's good for health and longevity you want to meet or, guys yeah ex- exactly you want to just get in the cool keto facebook groups or you um you know you just are experimenting with it and even if you just want to drop some pounds like like you can dip in and out of ketosis like ketosis isn't magical for weight loss it helps. It's good, but it's it's not magical. There are other, you can still lose weight on primal paleo. But if you're in, if you're doing keto because you are using keto as an adjuvant therapy for cancer, or you're trying to, uh, you know, you have early stage dementia or you have type two diabetes that's not well managed and, um, or other, you know, other insulin resistant, um, other diseases associated with insulin resistance, if you, obviously, if you have epilepsy and you're using it for that, like, then you don't mess around, like, you don't mess around with dipping in and out until you feel very confident that you are well-managed from a medical perspective, and then you experiment strategically if you and your doctor agree that that's the right thing for you. So that's the problem with keto is, A, we have, like like, hugely different reasons why people come to keto, and then very different reasons why people, what people imagine when they step away from keto, what that's going to look like. And so it's really hard to put these blanket rules on.
0: Now, in the cookbook, for example, you, you're averse to saying, is this food keto, is this recipe keto, because we're projecting... Obviously, we're, we're, we're setting a goal of keeping our carb intake limited over the course of a day or the course of a week. So an individual standalone recipe, um, is not representative of that. So what kind of guidelines would you uh have the listener follow if they're thumbing through a recipe book including yours mm-hmm. and how how to navigate um you know staying to keto goals while preparing these these wild-looking recipes from Africa and the Middle East and the Mediterranean I can't even pronounce some of this stuff very cool uh, but are there, is there some leeway if you're having a dish that features sweet potatoes, that if you ate that four times a day, you're not going to be right. keto and you got to go and blank, blank.
1: Well, we did not put, I don't think we have any dishes with sweet potatoes in the book because.
0: Sorry, <laughs> find another book. <laughs>
1: well, here's what I learned. So it's been, this has been a very interesting learning experience for me. I'm learning first with our keto reset cookbooks that people get really upset if you're, recipes have more than like seven or eight grams of carbs in them. Even even despite our many statements at the beginning of all three of my cookbooks that say there are lots of versions of keto. And although some people restrict their carbohydrates to 20 grams of car- total carbs per day, or even net carbs per day, which is a lot of carb restriction, you know, we take the approach that most healthy people can easily eat fifty grams of carbs per day with some flexibility and still maintain ketosis. Like we go through this whole like you don't have to like don't have to be super restrictive. It's possible to eat so, you know, and then people will still look at say, come back and say, well some of these recipes have eleven grams of carbs and that's more than my half of my daily carb allowance. And this cookbook isn't even keto. And <laughs> it's like it is, you didn't read the beginning.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> oh so, the beginning. I mean,
1: It turns out that writing keto, I mean, keto recipes are challenging to write just because, again, the like limited types of foods, you know, because you do want to be sensitive to the fact that you don't want any one dish to have all 50 grams of carbs in it. That just is not a a reasonable um, delivery for people. But, um, you know, again, because people's perception of what is and isn't keto differs so wildly. So, I you know, I kind of set a rule and this is, was totally arbitrary for the most part that we would try to keep all the dishes to below 15 grams of carbs in all three books. Um, you know, assuming that, you know, if you're eating two meals a day and your entree has 15 grams of carbs, that's not a big deal. Like, it's just not a big deal. You know, if you're eating four meals a day and one entree is 15 grams of carbs, you need to pay attention to that and look at that. But for anybody who, obviously, if you're only eating 20 grams of carbs per day total, this is probably not the dish for you uh, because you're just not going to have enough room to eat any other food besides like just cans of tuna or egg whites or something, I guess, if that's what you want. Um But people just get very offended when they perceive that you're trying to give them more carbs than they want. So (laughs) keto cookbook writing is incredibly challenging. Um, But yeah, so I set this threshold at around 15 grams of carbs. A couple of our recipes exceed that. um, And actually, it's the ones with mollusks. So the ones with mussels and clams. Because mollusks...
0: Oh, forget it. Those are so healthy. We're going to make an exception. Well, that's what I did.
1: Because mollusks have a lot of carbs in them. And apparently, this is interesting. I, according to something I read on the internet when I was trying to figure out why mollusks have so many carbs compared to other types of seafood, it's because they don't undergo the process of rigor mortis when they die. And rigor mortis involves a degradation of muscle glycogen. And so with other, and I, again, like I could be completely spreading a rumor, but I read this on the science site and you know that everything on science sites on the internet is a hundred percent true. So apparently they don't undergo rigor mortis. And so the glycogen in their cells or in their cells does not break down. And so even, so when you consume them, you're consuming all of the, of the glucose in their little mollusk bodies or whatever. So whether or not that's true, I like that story. I'm going with it. Um, So yeah, so mollusks I made an exception for, but otherwise I tried to keep things to under 15. Most things I tried to keep under like 11 or 12. Um, But again, like at some point you're sacrificing flavor and especially with Keto Passport, like we were able to make those changes because we use a lot of herbs and spices because we were using, we were making international recipes and we wanted to flavor them. Um, The other thing that people get really upset about with Keto cooking is the dairy question. Because a lot of people, again, a lot of people come to dairy because they have metabolic issues or autoimmune issues. And for a lot of those people, they find that cutting dairy is part of their healing process. They just don't do well with dairy. And sometimes you, they can reintroduce it and sometimes they can't. Um, so a lot of traditional keto recipes are like heavy cream and cream cheese, <laughs> heavy cream, cream cheese, shredded cheese, and sour cream. And so people are desperate for good, um, dairy free recipes, which now, you know, a lot more people are delivering. It's, it's way easier to find even than even in two years ago when I started keto, like really hardcore was still a lot of cheese and cream cheese recipes. Um, but yeah, so it's like people want dairy free recipes, which is great. I like to make right dairy free recipes. I don't eat that much dairy, but I, I don't restrict it either, but it's hard to get enough, into recipes to make the macro balance look like people want. So again, people think that keto has to mean high fat in every dish and it doesn't. Every dish does not need to be high fat. It just your total meals across a day need to be low enough carb and the fat is there for calories and you can add fat on your own, but it's tricky. Oh,
0: you're right. Yeah. I mean, Let's say you're really good at burning body fat or want to drop some excess body fat. You're maybe going to stay under the carb limit for keto, but your ratios are not going to align with that commonly stated goal of 75% fat and 20% protein 5% carb because you're not just you're just not eating that much food.
1: Right. And I mean those those ratios are a starting place for a lot of people, but again, people get very wedded to them. So yes, like if you're trying to drop Body fat, if you want your body to be consuming the fat off your body, you don't want to be eating as much fat off your plate. Like, that's just basic because the calories have to come from somewhere. And if you're giving your body the calories from fat, then, you know, and your fork, then you're not going to be using your body fat as much. On the same time, like, you can't just restrict calories so much that you're like starving yourself. So you have to eat some dietary fat. But, you know, keto does not need to be a a fat fest in terms of just putting butter and sour cream and shredded cheese on everything. But when you are restricting carbs and when you are moderating protein, then you're going to need to eat dietary fat and more than you're probably used to if you're coming from a standard American low-fat dogma where, you know, you were eating low-fat packaged food products and buying lean chicken breasts and draining the oil off your tuna before you ate it, like with plain salt and pepper instead of mixing delicious mayonnaise into it. Um, But yes, like every recipe does not need to be a high fat recipe to qualify as keto. And then of course, then people get mad about the protein because some people are still really afraid of protein in the keto space. Although definitely in the last two years, I've seen a profound shift in the keto space where people are much more comfortable eating protein, much more aware of of gluconeogenesis being more of a demand driven process. People are still afraid of gluconeogenesis and afraid of insulin. Um, But there are plenty of us out there trying to like wave the flag and saying like, you don't have to be, you know, gluconeogenesis is our friend. (laughs) Insulin is our friend. Um, But yeah, I mean, people get really mad if if your ratios are off, if you have more protein than fat, even though there are prominent people in the keto space who advocate for eating more protein than fat if you're trying to, if body recomposition is your goal. So I don't know. The keto space is full of people shouting at each other that they're doing it wrong. So I'm just trying to provide delicious recipes for delicious food. And if they don't work for you, don't shout at me.
0: (laughs) Don't shoot the messenger. Oh my gosh. The, uh, the regions here, I'm going to read them for, for our excitement, Africa, East Asia, Middle East, Mediterranean, South Asia, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, North America, South America, And Lindsay is showing, I'm the only one that can see the video, but that beautiful color on the front.
1: I know. Isn't its that
0: my idea or something? It it just pops out of the page there.
1: I'm sure it was your idea and definitely not Caroline's. But no, our our layout (laughs) person did an amazing job. And then I should also, I really want to give credit to Layla, my co-author, who also did all the photos.
0: Oh that's a right. multi-talented oh my god, the
1: photos. I honestly this book I uh, the true story like every time our layout person would send me a new draft I would cry. <laughs> I got so weepy because the photos are so beautiful and the layouts beautiful and the colors in the book are beautiful and the borders are beautiful and the recipes just all came together and I just, I really, this is how I like to eat, but also like I learned a lot from Layla during this process, but just because again, like you mentioned, her childhood was much different than mine. She grew up with a completely different food heritage than I did. Um, you know, my family is Scottish, so we are like the most Western European slash Midwestern, i.e. not the most exciting. Wasn't um,
0: Domino's founded in Michigan, right? Yeah. Domino's
1: and Little Caesars, um. So, yes, I grew up going to Domino's Farms every Christmas. Um, so, you know, I learned a lot from her. And so I actually still use the recipes in this book. Like I follow them myself because a lot of these were recipes that I learned about while we were in the process of, of starting to do the research for this book and think about whether or not this was something that we wanted to make a whole cookbook out of. And do we want to make it global? And so, um, there are some recipes in here that I only learned about, um, in the process of making this book that are like now staples for me. Like, um, there's a, oops, sorry. I got distracted by my phone buzzing. Um, so like I have quail eggs in my, um, fridge right now that I'm going to make the marinated quail eggs from the book. Um, there's a, a soup called charator that I'm like super, super, super into. Um, there's a sauce called tonado, which is in uh, uh, like an Italian Mediterranean region, but it's basically like, it's basically like Caesar dressing, but you, Grind up a can of tuna into it, and I know it sounds so. It's like salty and fishy, and it sounds crazy. And we have it served on tongue, which is also crazy to some people. But I will just make tonado and just eat it with a spoon. It's like one of my favorite things. So, um, the recipes in this book are have are things that some of them were really foreign to me when we started, and are now just staple foods for me because they're interesting. And then a lot of them are also like the tonado, like the. Uh, um, uh, territory. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Ter- territory or, um, that are like, but they're super simple and so good. So, yeah, it's also.
0: I mean, mo- admittedly, most people don't sit down and read a cookbook cover to cover. They thumb through it and see things. And there's so much variety in terms of you have those elaborate gourmet recipes that you can have a dinner party with, and then you have like the keto friendly sriracha, which I love sriracha sauce. I, I don't really look on the bottle, and now I, when I saw that keto friendly one, I was like, oh, so that means the regular stuff is not keto friendly. I better go look at the thing.
1: Well, it's fine because you're not you're you're not eating like cups right, and cups right. of it at a time, but does have sugar. And so, so for people who are trying to avoid sugar, they just don't want it in their diet. They just are taking a zero tolerance policy towards it. Don't, you know, just make your own and also just making your own fermented foods at home is a great idea. You know, the microbiome is kind of like the next frontier for health, right? Um, people are really excited about it Well, the microbiome and the circadian clock, I would say are the two next, like the two things that are like coming up big right now. Um, and so, you know, people are like spending all this money on probiotics and worried about, you know, prebiotics, or you could just, it's so easy to make your own fermented peppers and turn them into hot sauce. Oh, there's another recipe in here for Sambal, which is like a, it's a coconut pepper, um, paste sort of like a condiment you can ferment that like there's so many things and there are specifically fermented recipes in this book like you should be making your own fermented foods that's one of isn't that one yeah that's one of kate shanahan's four pillars right meat on the bone and fermented foods and we purposely are two of the pillars and we purposely put those in this book because those are like hallmarks of traditional cooking and traditional health remedies so you know a lot of bone broth in the book a lot of fermented foods A lot of meat on the bone.
0: Right. And I got to say, we listen to so much content, we can read websites and all that. But when I go over to your house and I'm so inspired by seeing all the fermenting stuff happening, you got me totally into making my own kombucha. Now I'm brewing four gallons every three weeks and I drink so much of it. And I do claim that that and um, some dosing with a bunch of probiotics helped me cure a pretty serious um, uh, digestive distress that I had for a couple of years coming out of uh, a lot of antibiotic use in the hospital. And when you get the book and physically turn the pages and look at the pictures, just like you're describing, you get inspired to go try and do some of this stuff. I mean, I know I'm supposed to make my own sauerkraut and I push the stuff down into the glass jar and throw the salt in, but you have to have sort of that visceral connection to someone writing a breezy discussion and showing the picture of how to do it. And I think that will kick you into action. Same with preparing these incredible recipes and just getting more creative in the kitchen. So, I think you guys did a great job on this book, and I think people should go get it. It's called Keto Passport.
1: Keto Passport, and it has a... Look for the one on Amazon that has, like, the. it's a bright turquoise color. It's just, like, evocative of the ocean. It makes you want to travel and try new foods.
0: And if you're, if you're, um, if you're not convinced, we want them to go look on your guys' Instagram pages, which are mm. so cool. Uh, yep. The Useful Dish is Lindsay, The mm. Useful Dish. And Layla is strong. Dot and dot well fed. Yeah, strong,
1: strong and well fed with
0: periods in between the words. And that's cool there because she's showing that other her her other multi talent of lifting those heavy weights. And she taught me the proper form for the deadlift, and now my back is never tight afterward. And man, she's just making a great contribution, doing her thing. So yeah,
1: Layla's a rock star. She's awesome.
0: Um so are you, Dr. Oh, Lindsay Taylor, thanks. one of our favorite guests on the podcast and hosts and guests. We gotta <laughs> we gotta hook up more, but I'm I'm so glad to get to talk to you about your book. I know it's a lot of hard work and care and love and attention on every page. So keto passport.
1: And come find me on Facebook too. If you want to see more of our creations or ask me questions about the book, you can find me in the Keto Reset Facebook group.
0: I know she's known to actually answer and make comments back, like a real person, Dr. I Lindsay am Taylor. Every so. day. Thank you for listening, everyone. Go get the book. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive. We're we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's... The primal kitchen, Wilder. Uh, it's, it's this cute thing, actually. She does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. So so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? she's four. Oh my god so she likes like the mayo on a oh yeah on. she so she loves those so we love them as well we have uh we, we eat them all the time we eat the mayo we eat the balsamic we eat the the ranch um the avocado oil we use all the time and, and so you know that's completely genuine and i don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments i really appreciate that what an authentic spot from chris kelly at nourish balance thrive and yes primal kitchen you can call it wilder ranch dressing if you want <laughs> and uh we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're they're trying to make ends meet in santa cruz mountains thank you very much chris <laughs> it's my pleasure